Welcome to the Valley View Friends Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Thank you for joining us, and if you want to learn more about our church, look us up on Facebook or our website at valleyviewfriendschurch.org. I have to admit, sometimes I look at the world around me and think that everything and everybody is just going crazy. Each week seems to turn up something new to take sides on or to be upset about. Most alarming to me is that people are listening to each other less and less. What is a person to do if they need to be heard? How is the Christian to proclaim the truth of God in a world that listens less and less? Perhaps you'll find it a comfort to know that while we feel like we're living in unique times, this is not necessarily new. People have always been passionate defenders about what they believe to be true, whether it's right or wrong. And the Apostle Paul faced moments where people, the people he proclaimed the gospel to, they seemed to go off the deep end as well. Thessalonica was one such location, and Acts chapter 17 records Paul's ministry efforts there. Some people in the city were jealous of Paul, and so they whipped up a mob to grab, to grab him, and Paul ended up having to flee the city of Thessalonica. So Paul has some experience with dealing with those who do not want to listen. So what is his solution? Well, Paul embraces boldness and gentleness in how he connects to people. Now, we talked about boldness last week. Boldness is not to be confused with aggressiveness or brashness or, or forcefulness, but instead, boldness is confidence. Last week, we read in 1 Thessalonians 2.4 that Paul, Paul was bold because of four things. He knew his calling, that he was approved by God. He took seriously the gospel entrusted to him. He sought to please God alone. And finally, Paul let God test his heart. And these four ingredients fueled a confident boldness for Paul. And so now we must turn our attention to the second half of Paul's formula, which is gentleness. With boldness must come gentleness. So if you want to break through the hardening hearts of those around you, you must reach out with godly gentleness. This gentleness is strength under control, or better put, it's refusing to play by this world's rules, ways, and methods, and instead by living by the rules, ways, and methods of Jesus. Gentleness is how Paul lived among the Thessalonians. He cared so deeply for them and wanted them to know the salvation of Jesus so badly that he devoted himself to reaching out with gentleness. I want to challenge you to hear the care, concern, and love that Paul has for the Thessalonians as we read the text. So let's turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses, 17, verses 7 through 12, and we'll read this gentleness that Paul talks about, beginning in verse 7. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, that we are ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also. How holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So let's take a couple minutes and try to 
understand gentleness. It's a, it's a big idea, and so we won't be able to capture it all, but let's talk about it a bit. And like last week, when we talked about boldness, we started by identifying what boldness is not, and then we talked about what it was. And I think it would be fruitful to do the same here. So let's start by talking about what gentleness is not. Gentleness is not weakness. It's not letting people walk all over you. Gentleness is not timidness. Gentleness is not just speaking quietly. Gentleness, I think, gets confused with becoming so mild that you seem to disappear. Gentleness isn't gender-specific. In this text, Paul talks about both a mother and a father. It is not that one is gentle and one is not. Gentleness cannot be taken out of either a mother or father's character. To do so would be to create a ruin of a parent of parental character. Do not think for one moment that a mother's gentleness is weakness. A mom can be one of the scariest forces you can encounter if you get between her and her children. You can think of a mama bear and her cubs. And I remember uh, I'm reminded of Gary Larson's cartoon series, The Far Side. And uh, he would often have uh, mother grizzly bears and baby cubs in his little one-picture cartoons. They, they were wacky cartoons. Maybe some of them were more tasteful than others. But there's one that I remember when I think of this idea of a mom's fierce love. Uh, and, and so there's this comic, which is just one picture that shows a man stepping onto an elevator, which is, of course, where you're going to meet a, a grizzly bear and her cub, right? But that's the far side. And in the elevator, on one side is a mother grizzly bear, and on the other side is a cub. And the caption reads like this. Tragedy struck when Conrad, his mind preoccupied with work, stepped into the elevator directly between a female grizzly and her cub. I know, it's a weird comic strip. Do not discount a mother's gentleness as weakness. It is fierce. Gentleness is not weakness. It is much stronger than we could ever realize. Gentleness is not passiveness. The early friends were strict pacifists. They could not condone fighting against fellow people. They took very seriously the idea that all people were made in the image of God and that we should take care to not destroy that image. Additionally, early Quakers rose up at a time when wars were being fought between Christians, and they could not conceive of the idea of killing a fellow brother in Christ. But do not mistake this pacifism with inaction. Early friends understood all too clearly that they were fighting spiritual warfare, the Lamb's War. Their enemy was not people, it was Satan and spiritual forces that were trying to destroy as much, and they were trying to destroy as much of God's creation and people as possible. And so the early Quakers were at spiritual war with them. So we are called to be gentle towards fellow people, but we are to engage in spiritual war everywhere that we are. Ephesians 6.12 tells us this, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. It is spiritual warfare not person-to-person -person warfare that we are called to. Do not let this world define gentleness for you. Let God define it. Too often, we let this world and the people of this world tell us who a Christian is supposed to be, what a Christian is supposed to be like. They say, well, Christians are supposed to be religious. They're supposed to be nice and loving and accepting. They're supposed to help others, especially the poor. And those statements are true, 
But the problem is, is we let the world define the Christian, and then we let the world uh, define all those words, and we assume that they're somehow accurately understanding kindness and love and acceptance and how to really help people. But the world's definitions of kindness, love, acceptance, all those things are so different from what God calls us to be. So gentleness doesn't mean you let the world tell you who you're supposed to be. It is knowing who God says you are. Do not let the world define gentleness for the Christian. It will strip all the purpose and the power out of gentleness, and it will just leave you a dull person who has no influence. So what is gentleness? Quite simply, gentleness is power under control. Donald Gee, an English Pentecostal teacher, gave a wonderful illustration of gentleness. He spoke of a guide taking a group of visitors through a factory, and he showed them a giant steam hammer powerful enough to crush an automobile. And then the guide placed a walnut under the machine and had the hammer crack the shell of the walnut without damaging the meat of the nut. That is a picture of gentleness, power under control. Gentleness is a person who's able to be self-disciplined. You know, a horse is a powerful animal, but until that power is harnessed and trained, the horse is not useful. And one commentator wrote this about understanding what gentleness is. Often overlooked as a virtue, gentleness, we appreciate gentleness more when we consider that its opposite is. What its opposite is. It's harshness, roughness, bad temper, sudden anger, and being short, abrupt, or blunt to the point of ungraciousness. When we understand those opposites, we get a better picture of what gentleness actually is. Gentleness is not living and battling for life by the world's standard, but by living by God's standard. And that is what Paul has done for the Thessalonians. Our text today is full of descriptors that tell us Paul is operating by God's standard and not the standard we see in the world around us. And verse 7 tells us that Paul writes, We were gentle among you like a mother, and then again verse later in verse 11, like a father. Verse 8 tells us, that he shares not just the gospel, but his very self. He's being self-sacrificial to the Thessalonians. Verse 9, Paul tells us that he labored day and night, and his, his uh, uh, comrades in ministry, they also labored day and night to not burden the Thessalonians. They didn't want anything to be a weight upon the Thessalonians for finances or any sort of issue like that. They wanted to to relieve the Thessalonians as much as possible. And in verse 10, we're told that he, he, he recounts to the Thessalonians, remember, my conduct was above reproach. Paul uses three words to describe his conduct. He says they were holy, they were righteous, and they were blameless. Note that Paul does not say he was self-righteous, that he was righteous. Verse 12 tells us in his conduct towards the Thessalonians, this gentleness coming out, that he exhorted or urged the Thessalonians, he encouraged them, and he charged them in a man to walk in a manner worthy of God. Paul was thoroughly concerned for the Thessalonians, and his concern was for them to know God instead of just feel better about themselves. 
So if gentleness is living by God's standards instead of the world's standards, how are we to do this? We can see it in Paul's example, but I think even more we have Jesus' example throughout the Gospels. And, and I just want to pull some examples out of uh, how Jesus lives by God's standards, by heaven's standards, to be gentle among the people uh, in a way uh, we can only pull a few examples, but there are many, many, many of them in the Gospels. And, and so the first thing I would say about Jesus and how he gives us an example of how to be gentle is, first, he, Jesus held people accountable to the truth. Everywhere you go in the Gospels, Jesus is teaching about the kingdom. He's teaching about sin. He's teaching about what it means to follow God and what it means to be the people of God. And to those who should know better, Jesus holds their feet to the fire. He never lets those who should know better off the hook. He's fierce with them. And yet, to those who are kind of trapped in their sin, who, who want out, who, who are desperately hungering for the kingdom of God, he tells them, go and sin no more. He never excuses a person's sin as, as though it's not serious, but he always deals with their sin. So he holds those who should know better, their feet to the fire, and then he relieves people of their sin. Uh, but he doesn't excuse it. He holds everybody to the truth, just in different ways. In Matthew chapter 8, verses 3 through 11, we have an example of this. Um, and it reads like this. The and you can hear... In this story, Jesus holding the fire to the feet of those who should know better and Jesus telling someone, go and sin no more, who just wants to be released from this awful burden of sin. Both are being held to the truth, but in different ways. It says this in Matthew 8, beginning in verse 3, The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, uh, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? They said this to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who, who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. And Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on sin no more. Jesus knew how to address this crowd. He spoke fiercely to the leaders who should know better, and he was gentle with the woman. All of them, though, he held accountable for their sins. I'd like to point out that Jesus knew just how to address each person. He knew when to use a sharp word and when to sit kindly next to someone. He knew the appropriate time. And gentleness also knows how to use the appropriate word at the right moment. Richard Dunnigan writes this kind of humorous story here. After their school carnival, our kids had won four free goldfish. Lucky us. And so I went out Saturday morning to find an aquarium, because I really wanted to buy one of those. The first few I priced ranged from $40 to $70, and then I spotted it. Right in the aisle, a discarded 10-gallon display tank complete with gravel and filter for a mere five bucks. Sold, of course. It was a nasty, dirty tank. But the savings I had, I made made those two hours of cleanup a breeze. 
those four new fish looked great in their new home, at least for the first day. But by Sunday, one had died. Too bad, three remained. Monday morning revealed a second casualty, and by Monday night, a third goldfish had gone belly up. We called in an expert, a member of our church who had a 30-gallon tank, and it didn't take him long to discover the problem. I had washed the tank with soap, an absolute no-no. My uninformed efforts had destroyed the very lives I was trying to protect. Sometimes in our zeal to clean up our own lives or the lives of others, we unfortunately use killer soaps, condemnation, criticism, nagging, fits of temper. We think we're doing it right, but our harsh, self-righteous treatment is more than they can bear. And the same holds true for a well-timed or an ill-timed word. So Jesus, he knows how to hold people accountable to the truth, and he does it in the right way and in the right time. The second thing I would say is that Jesus is patient and kind to everyone who is earnestly seeking God's kingdom. There's examples of this all through the Bible. We could look at Nicodemus, the Pharisee. You know, Pharisees are usually people Jesus was pretty hard on, but Nicodemus wanted to know about the kingdom. And you can read about him in John chapter 3, and Jesus is exceedingly patient with Nicodemus. There's the woman at the well in John chapter 4. She kind of doesn't want to talk to Jesus about uh, the kingdom, and yet Jesus is patient with her, even though she sort of wants to avoid him. <sighs> These different examples here, this Nicodemus and this woman at the well, their status, their education, the power they had, uh, really doesn't have any effect on Jesus' patient with them. This is his gentleness coming out. He's patient with everyone who seeks the kingdom of heaven. The third thing I would say about Jesus' example of gentleness is Jesus treats each person as important. That's like the patients, right? But this is a different level. Jesus treats each person as important. The most outcast person and the most powerful person are equally precious to Jesus. In Mark chapter 5, you can read the story of Jairus' daughter. You see, Jairus is the ruler of a synagogue. He's an important and a powerful person. When he speaks, you pay attention. And this world would measure him by what it can get from him. Hey, if we help him out, he'll help us out. Makes sense. In the middle of the story, though, as Jesus is traveling to Jairus' house, he allows himself to be interrupted by an unnamed woman. She's had an issue of bleeding that has made her an outcast and a nobody. Yet she, is an important, she isn't important enough for Jesus to stop and say this. And you're going to read these words in Mark chapter 5, verse 34. It says, And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. This unnamed woman is precious enough and important enough and equal enough in the eyes of Jesus that he's able to look at her and say, not just you woman, you unnamed person, but to say, daughter, welcome to the family. You, your faith has made you well. Each person is equally precious in the eyes of Jesus. In Jesus' ministry, uh, Jairus, the synagogue ruler, and the nameless woman are of equal importance. The difference between us may feel like a gulf that is insurmountable, but the differences between you and me, the wealthy of us, the wealthiest of us and the most miserable of us are negligible 
compared to the gulf between us and God. It's like comparing a yardstick to the distance between the earth and the sun. A person sitting on the one-inch mark and a person sitting at the one-yard mark are not really all that far apart compared to the earth to the sun. And yet we often try to divide ourselves by that distance on a yardstick when we have a God who is reaching out to us, the one true God, Jesus the Savior, offering us life. Remember, this world is not made up of people who are for and against you. It is made up of people who are prisoners to sin and to Satan and those who are set free by the blood of Christ. That is the difference between us. And we should be concerned for every person. All of them are precious in the eyes of Jesus. The fourth thing I would say about Jesus' example for gentleness is Jesus showed tremendous control towards those who hated him. Gentleness is power under control. We talked about that earlier. It's so tempting when a person comes after us in hostility, when they're angry at us, and they're trying to take us down a peg, to want to take a swing back. And Peter makes this mistake when Jesus is arrested in the garden. Peter draws a sword and he cuts off the ear of one of the arresting soldiers. I could imagine Peter saying to himself, I'll show you. But Jesus responds in Matthew 26, 53, do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father and he will at once send down more than 12 legions of angels? He has all the power to command, and yet he lets a lowly soldier following orders arrest him. That's gentleness. That is strength under control. And that leads us to the fifth example of Christ about gentleness. And that is this, that Jesus gave himself for our redemption. And that is gentleness shown uh, on the cross for us. In Matthew 27, 42, the Pharisees, the scribes of the law, the leaders, the authorities are mocking Jesus. And they say these words to Jesus. He saved others. He cannot save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. Even as they mocked him, Jesus died for them. His gentleness was not that he was not something that caused him to erupt onto the earth and force us to face our sins and, and brand us with some sort of forced redemption. Jesus' mission was that he died for you and me. His gentleness said he would give himself for us. And I don't see too much of that happening in our world today. I see a lot of shouting, I see a lot of anger, I see a lot of people who think they're right and think that they need to show people how wrong they are. This world is full of people devouring one another. That's not gentleness. But Jesus on the cross ends the devouring by giving himself. Perhaps that's why he has us remember this gift of salvation with the Lord's Supper. Instead of devouring each other in our sin, we are to eat of Christ, and then to give ourselves to others. That's gentleness. That's power under control. If you want to be heard, if you want to soften someone's hard heart, live with Christ-like gentleness. Hold people accountable to the truth. Be patient with others. Treat each other as important in the eyes of God and therefore important to you. Show control towards those who would be your opponent 
be self-sacrificing toward others. Gentleness is a refusal to play by this world's rules and to live instead by God's rules. Will you do that for the people you encounter? Will you seek to break the cycles of frustration and discord and devouring and live instead with godly gentleness? Let us pray. Eternal God, in whose perfect kingdom no sword is drawn but the sword of righteousness, no strength is known but the strength of love, Lord, so mightily spread abroad your spirit that all people may be gathered under the banner of the Prince of Peace, to whom be dominion and glory now and forever. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Go with Jesus.